Well, good morning. I want to add my greeting to all of you on the first floor, here on the second floor, up on the third floor. I've already greeted many of you. And to those of you who are watching remotely, my name is Eric Barton, and I am delighted to pastor the downtown campus of Bethel Bible Church on this, the 20th of June, Father's Day. And so I do want to echo Stephanie's words and wish everyone a very happy Father's Day. Uh, it's historically the lowest attended Sunday of the year, <laughs> tragically, but not here, not here. I'm so overwhelmed and overcome and thankful that really that th this holiday really has no bearing on the attendance and the gathering of God's people in this context. And so thank you. Uh, it's one of those uh, strange things that no matter what else is going on, when you come to church and you sense the presence of the Spirit, and you see his people, it literally can't get any better. So I don't know what all you got going on. I know there's a lot of struggle, a lot of turmoil, a lot of trial and pain. But while we're here together, I just want you to know, it literally could not be any better. So I want to invite you to just receive that. God would not improve what we're doing here one iota. He loves this. And so we get to participate and be a part of what's going on. Now, one of my heroes in the faith, an old Anglican bishop named Reverend Dick Lucas, would always address his students, and he would tell them, there are two things you must always preach about without fail. The cardinal rule, you must always preach about two things. Number one, you must always preach about God. And I'd like to think I took his advice to heart, and I've always done that as far as I know. So help me God, I've always preached about God. The other one, he said, is equally important. You must always preach about 20 minutes. <laughs> I've adopted more of a postmodern view on that one. I do preach about 20 minutes. I call that an introduction. And so... For the first time, perhaps ever, I'm actually going to course correct Reverend Lucas, wherever you might be. This one's for you. I'm going to preach very, very briefly this morning, and there's a reason for that. We're going to do something a little bit differently. At the end of our sermon time together, we're going to have a conversation with some of our missionaries, these people that are us, that we have sent out into the world to do the work of evangelization and discipleship. They're not just people out there that we support by throwing dreams or nickels in their dream bucket. No, no, they're us that we've sent out there. But because of the nature of their ministry, where they serve and what they do, we cannot have them streamed online. It would be uh, insecure and unwise for us to do that. And so at the conclusion of this sermon, we're going to still have church. We're still going to be in church. Do not get up and leave. Our deacons will tase you right in the kidneys. You stay right where you are. But we're going to conclude the live stream. So those of you watching remotely, you're not going to get to be a part of that. That's okay. We're going to have a conversation with them on the third floor. And then immediately after that, we're going to have donuts with them, a reception down on the first floor where you can find out even more information. Now, this morning, thanks be to God, we have made it at long last after these six weeks of intensifying heat through our study in the book of Titus. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you and invite you to turn with me to the book of Titus in chapter 3. We'll begin reading in just a moment in verse 8. I want to remind you that our working theme for the book of Titus has been grace works. 
as Paul writes to his protege Titus, this Gentile who's over the association, you might say, of churches on the island of Crete. I've always thought that the churches on the island of Crete were very similar to what we do here at Bethel, where we have five campuses but one church. Very similar, I think, in uh, ecclesiology to what the churches on Crete would have done, making no connection whatsoever to the kinds of people that were on Crete to those of East Texas. I'm not saying that. I'm just doing some geography. Nonetheless, Paul, born Saul of Tarsus, Jew of Jews, Pharisee of Pharisees, writes to this predominantly Gentile church, the origins of the Philistines, and he tells them, you guys, you guys, the gospel has happened. Hear ye, hear ye, the Messiah has come. And not only did he come, but he grabbed the borders and the boundary of the future coming kingdom and he stretched it back so that we get to live in that future kingdom. Now, if you are a believer, you are from the future. This age of oppression and persecution and problem and suffering and trial and turmoil, it's hard, but that's okay. Because you're from the future because of what this Jesus, the Messiah, did in the past. You get to live now as though it was then. And not only that, you get to be participants of bringing and sort of darkening in the shade of this overlapping age. Do you see? Christ has grabbed it and brought it back and he effectively pinned it to our context at the cross. And now we, his bride, his body, get to darken in the shade of that kingdom stretched tightly and we get to live in it. Sometimes we forget that. And we think church is the place where we argue about carpet. But it isn't. It's where we're from the future because of what somebody did in the past, and we get to live that way in the present. Our big idea for the morning has to do with the series big idea, which is grace works. Now, at long last, Paul's going to say, listen, in view of all of that wonderful doctrine, now let's get to work. But please notice the order there. Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. We'll read through this, I'll unpack it briefly, and then we'll apply it. Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Now, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is God's word. Now in Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, Paul says, the saying is trustworthy. Now when he says the saying, he's referring back to the previous little paragraph, verses 4 to 7. Verses 4 to 7 is this wonderful doctrinal, theological, soteriological burst of Paul saying, we were hopeless, hapless, and helpless, and God saved us. God did a thing, full stop, we were dead in our trespasses. We were objects of wrath, he'll say in Ephesians. And God did it. And he washed us by the regeneration and the renewal of the Spirit, hearkening back to Jesus' words in John 3 and in Matthew 19 that are hearkening back to Ezekiel's words in Ezekiel 36. All that the Old Testament foretold, Christ accomplished. And Paul saying, you guys, it's happening. And it's happening to the descendants of Goliath. 
It's an incredible scandal of grace. This saying is trustworthy and true. That verses four to seven was almost certainly a hymn that the early church would have sung together when they gathered. We know that that was the case for passages like Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Uh, for Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, those were hymns that the early church were using that Paul takes and he writes down and he inscripturates them. So this is the essence of wisdom. We should know these kinds of things. If you don't know what else to memorize, Titus 3, 4 to 7, it's a trustworthy saying. This stuff is what you build your life on, Paul is saying. I want you to insist on these things, Titus. Make sure that this is the warp and the woof of the congregations there on Crete so that those, interesting, who have believed, the gospel is for believers. I hear all the time people, the gospel, I don't need to hear the gospel, I'm already a Christian. That goes to show that you don't get the gospel. That's a misunderstanding and a confusion to think that the gospel is synonymous with justification. It isn't. Justification is being found guilty and declared righteous, and that's great, but that's not all there is. Oh, no, so much more. Preach the gospel, Titus, so that those who have believed, you and I will never outgrow nor go beyond the gospel. No, not ever. Preach these things so that those who have believed in God may carefully devote themselves. Notice the book ends here, then in verse 14, devote themselves to good works. But again, this is not just doing good moral things, helping people across the street, paying it forward at Starbucks. By the way, you should never go to Starbucks, go to the foundry. You can pay it forward all you want there. But it's not just doing good deeds. It's being like your father who is righteous. What does that mean? He is actively moving his holiness forward to set the world to rights. His righteousness flows like a river. When you find areas of wrong, of unfairness, of un injustice between your spouse and you, in your community, in your home, in your church, we, like God, effect righteousness because we're from the future. Do you see? We're the new heavens and the new earth walking around in corporeal form. And so we are the righteousness of God walking around. You know how I know that? Because Paul says so, 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could have an easy life. Bad translation. No, no. So that we would become the very walking around righteousness of God. That means setting the broken, dysfunctional, technical term, jacked up world to rights here, there, and everywhere. That's what we're supposed to be doing, devoting ourselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable. You might better translate that beautiful and beneficial. These things are beautiful. When, when a Christian in Christ, indwelled by the Spirit, equipped with the Word, surrounded by His people, sets the world to rights in tiny little pockets, one at a time, it is beautiful. It is beneficial. It is, in a sense, doing what Adam and Eve failed to do. You're taking your tiny little kernel, your little bitty corner of existence, and you are identifying it, making it as it should have been. You think, I can't do that. I'm just a... Stop it. You are in Christ and dwelled by his spirit, surrounded by his people, and equipped with his word. It's above your pay grade to say what you cannot do. Devote yourselves to righteousness, to rolling forth like a river. This is beautiful and beneficial. But, oh, there's always got to be that guy, and it's often me. There's that guy, but avoid foolish controversies. Why does Paul have to say this? Because inevitably, when you get the people of God together, somebody wants to talk about the Nephilim from Genesis 6. What's up with the angels hooking up with earth chicks? What's up? With, I don't know. 
It's weird, okay? Don't spend all your time in Genesis 6. Time to move on. Turn the page. Well, what's up with Paul talking about getting baptized for the dead? I don't know. Seems creepy. That's all I got. That's all I can say about that. Where, where was Jesus on Saturday? I don't know. Del Boca Vista. I don't know. But that's not where we want to spend all of our time. Avoid these kinds of things. But more specifically... Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies. Oh, these are weird. This is where people in the New Testament church were going to the Old Testament, finding some obscure Jewish name like Kushan Rushafaim and saying, ooh, that's actually my ancestor, my ancestor, my descendant. I'm a part of that. Therefore, I'm special and essentially better than you. And Paul says, stop that, you ninnies. That makes absolutely no sense. It was a way of trying to suppress others and elevate self, which is a clear indicator that they don't understand the gospel that it is all because of the finished work of one person in the past already and done. Stop that stuff, he says. Dissensions and quarrels about the law, that meaning the law of Moses. Well, should we do this? Should we not mix our fabrics? Can we, can we eat pork? Can we stir counterclockwise? Stop it. You can eat bacon on your oatmeal cream pie all day long, Paul says. I don't care. Go for it. Is there anything in the Mosaic law that we have to obey? No. Now walk by the Spirit, Paul will say in Galatians, that far supersedes and transcends the law. You walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, but if you try to impose the law on yourself, you're going to be in a flop mess in zero time. So stop all that stuff. That's foolishness. Those things are, and here's the exact opposite, not beautiful, not beneficial. He says unprofitable and worthless, but it's the exact opposite. Now, that's fascinating. That's instructive. That's a good ecclesiology for us. Verse 10, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Literally, muzzle him. Now, that seems harsh to us. Like, oh, no, can't we all just get along? No, especially if you're ignorant about the things that matter. Now, you might be unintelligent like me. That's one thing. You're welcome here. But if you're going to consist and persist in stirring up dissensions and divisions, we have no time for that. The flock of God is worth too much to us and to him to tolerate that. So just like Jesus' words in Matthew 18, warn him once, expand the circle a little bit, warn him again, that's no good. Hey, we're not going to put up with this sort of divisive, dissenting kind of thing. We're going to ask you to leave. Oh, no, I thought I belonged everywhere. No, not here. Because look, this is not a democracy. We serve King Jesus. I've never voted for that guy. He lived, he died, he rose again. He gets like to say what happens, and that's what happens. Verse 11, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and is self-condemned. What does that mean? That means he doesn't really believe the gospel. He's trying to draw other things out to make that the scorecard, to make that the, the parameters of performance. It means he doesn't actually understand the gospel, which is why, again, Paul says, preach the gospel to them, Titus. Preach the gospel to the believers so that they'll be actively engaged, leaning forward and pointing at righteousness. Then he lands the plane here in verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus, we don't know anything about Artemis other than he is with Paul somewhere. We don't know where Paul is when he writes the letter to Titus. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, it turns out we think he probably sent Tychicus. Tychicus was kind of like the apostolic postmaster. He delivered the letter to the Ephesians. He delivered the letter to the Colossians. And apparently he's going to deliver the letter to uh, Crete so that Titus can join uh, Paul in Nicapolis, all we know about Nicapolis is that it used to be a, a town, a city on the western coast of Greece. That's all we know about that. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicapolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Interesting side note, very 
interesting parallel. When Paul's in his second Roman imprisonment, he writes a very similar letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, and he says, Timothy, I'm dying here. I'm all alone. It's cold. Everybody's deserted me. Would you, would you come from Ephesus to Rome and bring my coat? you imagine the Apostle Paul going out like that? Bring me something to read and my coat because everyone else is gone. This is the Apostle Paul in Rome after everything that he's done. Similarly, I'm going to be in the capitalist. I don't know how this is going to go for me, but come see me. Don't you love the, the heartfelt affection? This Saul of Tarsus that used to try and want to kill Christians now loves them. Brethren, and dare I say, sistren, that's church. People that you and I would ordinarily in our default depravity would hate would have nothing to do with, would disdain, would want nothing of any kind of relationship. Now I will lay down in front of a slow-moving train for any single one of you. And that's what the church does. You get the sense that Paul is going, these are Gentiles, these are Philistines, and I love them so much. Only the church can affect that kind of transformation. Do your best to send to speed Zenus, the lawyer. I'm not going to make any lawyer jokes here. I'm not. I'm just saying... He's there. That's all we know about him was that he was a lawyer. And Apollos on their way. We know a lot about Apollos. He was in Corinth and Ephesus. He was corrected and completed by Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 19. Powerful speaker from Alexandria. Possibly the writer of Hebrews. We don't know. We don't know. Send them on their way. See that they lack nothing. See, this is interesting. The people of Crete who were in the churches of Crete have to be taught this. It was against the culture of Crete to be generous, to give supply and material resources to people that you don't know. Material resources were scarce. And Paul says, I, I, I don't care. Make sure that they know that they are you and you send them on their way because they're us going out doing what we cannot do. Keep that in mind. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Oh, he says that again. Let that be the thing that we're characterized by. Are we this sports team's fans or are we that sports team's fans? Paul says, what are sports? No, no. Let us be characterized. The jersey that we wear is righteousness, not piety, not piety, not moral high-groundedness, righteousness, the holiness of God rolling down like a river. That is to be our jersey. Let them devote themselves to good work so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. See, there is a default unfruitfulness. We have to put rockets, our fins on our rocket engine and allow the Spirit to point us forward so that we will be productive in His power and strength, not ours. But we are to be willing participants, actively, intentionally, diligently seeking out those opportunities. And all who are with me send greetings to you. We don't know who all that was. Greet those who love us. I love the fact that Paul calls them us. Because to Paul, wherever he was writing from, and the people on Crete, they were all us. This is us. This is the family of God. This is the citizens of the coming kingdom of Christ already. And not yet. Both and. Greet them. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. God's unmerited favor. Do you see how he ends that? What you don't deserve, may it wash over you. May it splash you up in the face because that's what the gospel does. See, grace works. Very quickly, let me just give you three quick implication points from this. We will land this plane. We'll have our conversation upstairs. Number one goes like this. 
And I'll just tell you right off the bat, I've used this one probably 10, 12 times because it's the New Testament. And it goes like this. The imperative always follows the indicative. Anything that we try to do in our own strength, like stand back, Jesus, I got this. <laughs> You're about to have an intimate relationship with your face in the pavement. Apart from me, Jesus says in John 15, you can do nothing. In view of all God's mercy, 11 chapters of doctrine in the book of Romans, and then finally in chapter 12 we get, here's what you do. Righteousness. Same thing in the book of Titus. God has done a thing. He washed us. He renewed our spirit by his spirit. And so now, because of that, we think on those things, we feel those things, and we let our righteousness roll forth like a downflowing river. It always starts with what God has done, period. Whatever we do is in view of what he's done. In view of that mercy, we are to live in a particular way that flows out of and stems from the root of God's grace. And when we do that, I wish I could make a bigger deal about this. I wish I could hoot and holler and do jumping jacks, but I have a heart thing, and so that's not going to be a good idea. The more we do those kinds of things, the more we intentionally lead our thoughts and feelings, please understand and hear this, if nothing else, the more those thoughts and feelings are the paving stones for future thoughts and feelings. That's what we mean when we say discipline. The more I think and feel about the righteousness of God moving forward and that I get to be a part of it, the more... I want to be the righteousness of God moving forward. What we think and feel right now matters for months and years from now. Increasingly, what I ought to do, not out of obligation, amazingly, the Spirit of God begins to weld and solder those things together. What I want to do becomes what I ought to do. What I ought to do actually becomes what I want to do. Not because I'm some Pollyanna ninny, no, but because God's transforming me. In view of all that he's done, now, all my thoughts and feelings pave the way for all my future thoughts and feelings. How you live every single day of your life matters massively, not just for now, but for the future of your generations to come and for all eternity. Secondly, this is incredibly practical. I don't have to probably say this directly to any of you and not make eye contact with any of you. If I was on the third floor, oh, I'd get you, but I'm not. Avoid adventures in missing the point. You can burn a whole lot of calories accomplishing precisely nothing. Avoid embarrassing adventures in missing the point. If you find yourself spending a lot of time and energy arguing about the finer nuanced points of all these things and people are giving you nothing but a courteous eye roll, you're probably dangerously close to that category. Or worse, you're the person that's actually going into the fleshly desires that you just have to be the smartest person in the room and so that everyone can bask in your brilliance. It's an indicator that you're actually not recognizing the gospel. And then in either case, it's something the Apostle Paul had zero time or space for. He was very rough about this in Galatians and everything else he wrote, but he says it here again in Titus. I might phrase it like this. The main things are the plain things. The plain things are the main things. What do I mean? Jesus is God. He became a man. He lived a perfect life in thought, word, and deed. He died as substitution for the elect. And he was buried. And he was dead, dead. And he rose again. 
and he was seen by hundreds. The resurrection of Jesus is historical fact, and he ascended, and he sent his spirit, and that spirit indwells every believer to be the righteousness of God. That's the main thing, and that's the plain thing. Everything else? Cool. Let's talk about where Jesus was on Saturday. The main things are the plain things. And not only that, God sees you and me. He knows, loves, and understands you and me. That's the main thing because that's the plain thing. Number three, pretty obvious. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. If there's a day that goes by that you're not preaching the gospel to yourself daily, that's not going to be a good day. You might think it was a great day. It wasn't. From the eternal lens into this world, the day that you don't preach the gospel to yourself, you may, I don't know how to preach the gospel to my... The gospel is the good news of what God has done in Christ to redeem us to himself and to one another. It is finished. In other words, God sees me. I see so much social media and TikTok activity where people are trying to be known without actually having to have any human relationship whatsoever. And it's all they, they want to be seen. They want to be understood. They want, God sees you way more profoundly than you and I could ever imagine. God understands you. God knows you. God loves you. Not just generally and sort of like as a whole swath of our region in the world. No, 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 no. You personally you, as an individual, before the foundations of the earth, he sees you, and his heart bursts. Do you know that he cannot wait to see you face-to-face -face way more than we can't wait to see him? Preach the gospel to yourself daily. I have already been seated with Christ in the heavenly places, and God, because he's just this good, has already blessed me with every conceivable blessing already. And I get to live in that. And if I don't know that, if I'm not reminded of that, then I will grasp for every other blessing less noble. Perhaps you know this kind of a day. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. If you don't believe that, you're setting yourself up for all sorts of funnels of futility. And that's not good for anybody. But instead, when we preach the gospel to ourselves daily, see, grace works and righteousness flows from us like a river. Grace works. And here's what I'd like for us to do as we conclude that study in the book of Titus. I'm going to pray for us. And then after I do that, Mike on the third floor is going to let us know what's been going on in the life of our church. There is so much happening. I want you to pay attention and receive and hear these announcements as worship. As worship. Because it means that God, despite all of the reasons he shouldn't, is active and on the move in our midst. And that's a tremendous grace and a blessing. So I'm going to pray for us. And then Mike's going to lead us through some announcements. And then we're going to have a conversation with our uh, missionaries. Please don't move. After Mike's announcements, just so you know, those of you online, we will conclude our live stream. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to be about your kingdom. We thank you for the gospel, the good news of what you've done in Christ in the past, so that we here in the present can live as though we're from the future, because we are. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, who has not fully embraced and lived in and on the gospel, would you move irresistibly and lead them into a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus, that they would step out of death into life? I pray, God, that you would take the words, not that I have preached, but that your spirit has illumined, 
and you would change and transform lives. I pray all this in the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen.